I uh, got a text from our son this morning early on, about 7, 6.30 a.m. They're driving across the country from Camp Lejeune, North Carolina to Monterey, California. I, I told you last week they're uh, going to be at the Naval Post Naval Naval Postgraduate School for a couple of years. And so they've packed it all up. And this is the first time I haven't helped move. Happy Father's Day to me. <laughs> Don't say all. Time. I think Dave said something about calling calling uh, your your dad daddy at a certain age. You don't do that anymore. It's dad, and that that was an ask, but that wasn't an ask that was fulfilled. In in and they're 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 traveling cross country. They packed it up themselves, and so they have this dog that they got a couple years ago as a puppy, German Shepherd. His name is Ranger. And so Ranger is riding shotgun in the moving van with Josh, our son. I don't wish to be there. And, 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 and he's in a crate. And obviously they're going to dog hotels, what I call dog hotels, because they're the ones that, you know, and so I can just imagine what a dog hotel is like. And I love animals. Don't take me wrong. But I don't want to be there. So that's happy Father's Day to me. I, I also, hey, you know, we celebrate Chelsea's baptism, but we also had a couple of baptisms earlier this week. Uh, Steve and Megan Hansel were baptized into Christ and joined our church. Kind of give us a wave. I, I didn't make them. They're kind of shy. Welcome them. Now, God is doing a work, and I can't emphasize that. A lot of times, as a pastor, I don't get to share everything. But we had a young man this morning walk, walk the aisle and say, you know, God has called me into Christian ministry. His name is Ethan DeHart, and he's going to a Bible college in Cookville, Tennessee this fall, and he was just asking for our prayers. And I'm so excited that young men and women are being called of God into ministry. And that's a real calling. It's a difficult calling. And, and he said he was struggling, and so I, I just want to share, share that with you. But we as a family of God, by the grace of God, through the power of God, we're seeing God move in a lot of different ways. And the Spirit is moving, and His grace is moving in our congregation. So I just want to encourage you. And if you're joining us online today, whether you're, you're drinking coffee and enjoying Father's Day and that on the couch, it's just not the same as being in the room. So I would invite you to come and join us. And if you can't, if you're in Florida or if you're in Canada, because we've got a lot of viewers in Canada, we also have a lot of viewers in Africa, even if you can't uh, join us, Join a local congregation, Body of Christ, be an encouragement and be a nurture, be nurtured in that congregation. So I just want to challenge you with that. Saying all of that, we're we're in a series, second week of Daniel. Last week we talked about Daniel chapter one, and and last week the 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 chapter was about Babylon's strategy to influence Daniel, and and that Daniel was being immersed in Babylonian culture, not so he could understand it or be educated in it, but so that he could become a Babylonian. And that was the whole purpose. But Daniel honored God and was faithful, and he resolved, he made a decision to commit his life and actions to God. Now, in this Daniel chapter 2, we're going to look at Daniel's strategy to influence Babylon. 
And it really wasn't Daniel's strategy, but he was placed in a position, we'll see in this chapter, where God used him. And so the whole question going throughout this series is this. How can I, how, how I can be a godly influence on others in, in a godless culture? Or how can I be a godly influence in a godless culture? And maybe you feel all alone in your school, in your job, in your retirement community, whatever aspect of your life that you feel displaced from culture because you are walking, you are marching to a beat of a different drummer. And I want to remind you of this, that God is in control of those who think they are in control when things seem to be out of control. God is still sovereign. The Apostle John said it this way in 1 John 4, 4, he said this, he said, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So if you're surrounded by lions, you're immersed in the culture, understand this, that God is in control and he is greater than what is around you. And realize this, that God always seeks to make a difference wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever is going on, he wants to make a difference where you are. And, and I want to remind you also, I'm reminding you a lot of things, but today as we gather, our purpose is not just to learn more, to understand more, to, to get filled. You have a purpose, and that is to scatter, to get out of the salt shaker, to be that light and that salt in the culture where God has called you. And in saying all that, we are going to Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first few ver verses of Daniel 2. We're going to go through the whole passage. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Now, we in our culture are pretty skeptical of dreams and visions, aren't we? Somebody tells us, we have this dream, or God said this to us. We, we kind of, mm, we're kind of skeptical, aren't we? Now, in the book of Acts, we know that in the last days, men and women of God are going to dream dreams and have visions. And God is going to speak through them. So we've got to kind of watch it and be discerning. In those moments. In fact, the parts of psychology do dream interpretation. And, and we will see in this passage that dreams are kind of important. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was having some insomnia. And the king commanded the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans. Which, when you see the word Chaldeans, you can think astrologers. They, to be summoned and tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. Now, every once in a while, my wife, Stacy, will say to me, you know, I had a dream last night, and she will go right into the dream. And I will listen. And sometimes they're pretty crazy. Sometimes my dreams are pretty crazy. But I don't think they're a message from God. Now, she might think they are, but they, they probably aren't. Most of the time. But you got to be discerning. But in that culture, at that time, 
dreams meant something. And when a king dreamt a dream, it was a message from the gods. And, and you will also see, if you read the Old Testament, that Joseph also was an interpreter of dreams, as well as Daniel. So you see a precedent of men and women of God who may interpret dreams. Now, this was a little bit different because not only did they need to interpret the dream, but they had to know what the dream was without the king telling them the dream. Notice it says the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is too difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not the flesh. They basically said this is not humanly possible. Now how did the king respond? Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Now, that's a little radical. It'd be like all the preachers, all the youth pastors, all the worship leaders, all the children leaders would be destroyed. We're going to wipe out that whole department. A little radical. So, the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. That's pretty scary. If somebody came to kill you, would you be a little bit fearful? Would you be a little bit anxious? Maybe you say, just hold on a minute. This is what Daniel did. Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. I'd be a little prudent. I would be a little discreet. Hey, just wait a minute. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? In other words, why was the king's decree so harsh? Then the Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And I can just imagine that conversation, can't you? Daniel to Arioch, hey, what's going on? This is a little radical, don't you think? You've got to understand something, Daniel. King's been slamming monster drinks. He's been taking some prescription drugs. He's not been sleeping well. He's been super irritated. He's had a lot of guys in the guard beheaded for just little itty bitty things. He is on edge. He's a lot paranoid and it's frankly a little scary. And I'm sorry I have to do this, but I'm going to have to kill you, man. Can you imagine? (laughs) So what's Daniel do? With prudence and discretion, he goes to the king. Notice, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. That he might know what the dream was from God and to interpret it. Now remember, like I said last week, Babylon may not love God, but God loves Babylon. And even though you're surrounded by lions, you're, you're surrounded by unbelievers and, and they live godlessly, they cuss, they cheat, they steal, they lie, they create drama around you, God still loves them. Now look in verse 17 and 18. What is, house Daniel's, what is Daniel's response? And Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning 
this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, you've heard of praying like your life depended on it. Well, Daniel and his buddies were praying because their lives were dependent on it for, for an answer of God. Notice in verse 19, this is what, how God responds. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a, a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Not only an interpretation, but what the dream was. And then Arioch brought Daniel before the king in haste, And said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? This was Daniel's moment. The king says, hey, can you do this? The enchanters, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, they said it wasn't humanly possible. Daniel had received from God. Now, would Daniel honor God in that moment? He did. He said it wasn't humanly possible. It only came from the God of heaven. I believe there will be a moment in your life where you're going to have to say, this wasn't me, this was God and God working in your life. And you need to give praise to God. Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. We serve that same God. And he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind, that you might be able to understand what you're dreaming about. Now, this is fascinating, the dream, and I'm not going to read all the scripture related to the dream, but I have a picture of it, 
And this is a picture of the statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of. I don't know if it's exactly the likeness, but the head was, was gold to rep- represent the, the kingdom of Babylon. The, the silver was the Persian kingdom that was coming after Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom that we will see in the book of Daniel. We will see that happen. Then you will see the kingdom of bronze, which they believe, that most commentators believe, which would be the kingdom of Greece, that Alexander the Great, who conquered the whole known world. And then you'll see the kingdom of iron, which we believe was the Roman government and the Caesars. But down here at the bottom, we see feet of clay and iron. You'll see this in scripture. And this is a mixture, the falling of the Roman Empire and the disintegration of that and the kingdoms of the world of today, even into Europe and then into America and into Russia and into China. But if you'll notice that this is very unstable and it's crumbling. That's what is going on. But there's another part of the dream, if you look at verses 34 and 35. And as you looked, Daniel's telling the king, as you looked in your dream, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And then the iron and clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away. They were blown away. So that there, there was no trace of them could, that could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now that should beg a question from you. What does the stone represent? This is prophecy that Nebuchadnezzar re- re- received that that has been passed down through the generations. In fact, the book of Daniel, some people look at it skeptically. Some scholars look at it like it's not a good resource because it's not what it claimed to be. It wasn't written when, it, when we accept it to be, but later because the prophecy or, or the dream was so accurate. Accurate. So now here's some clues about the rock. First of all, it was not cut by human hands. So what do you know? It was from God. It was supernatural. Second, this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 20, verses 17 and 18. He said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken into pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Well, who was the cheap cornerstone? Jesus. Absolutely. If you're ever in doubt and somebody ever asks you a question in church, what's your first go-to? Just say, Jesus. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus in the Old Testament. This is a prophecy that has been fulfilled. And and what's fascinating is this rock becomes a mountain. Well, what is that? We've got to understand that Christianity is the largest world religion today. The fastest growing. God is doing a work in China and in Africa right now. It is growing exponentially. That rock became a mountain. It, it was Jesus and 12 followers, 12 apostles that didn't do a very good job. But it multiplied, just like he said it would. 
Look at verse 46 of this passage. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. Now, who was the king worshiping? Daniel. Again, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't getting it. And, and you will see him over and over in the book of Daniel, not getting it. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of all gods and Lord of, the, of kings and a revealer, a revealer of mysteries, for you have not been able to reveal this mystery. Or you have been able to reveal this mystery. I misread. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and, and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Isn't that cool? Daniel got a promotion. Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. He took his buddies who prayed with him, with him to help lead in Babylon. And, and this is Daniel at 17 years old. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Daniel has gone from being a victim to the second most powerful man in the most powerful empire in the known world at that time. Unbelievable. So what's the application for you and me today? You and I today. What's the application? First of all, God is at his strongest when I am at my weakest. When we lean into God, when we raise God up, he is faithful. And he's strong. In Jeremiah chapter 28, it's fascinating because Daniel knew the scripture that was written by Dan, or Jeremiah and the prophecy pertaining to it. In Daniel, Jeremiah 28, there was a, a battle going on between him and a false prophet, Hananiah. And, and Daniel was before King Jehoiakim, or I mean not Daniel, Jeremiah was before King Jehoiakim, and he was telling him, the prophecy that you might as well give up. All of Israel is going into exile. This occurred about 10 years before Daniel was exiled. And he, was, he had this wooden yoke that he was carrying around. And Hananiah was saying, don't listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was prophesying that uh, Israel would be in exile for over 70 years. This, that's a lifespan, isn't it? And Hananiah was disagreeing and he broke that wooden yoke that Jeremiah was, had over his shoulder. And Jeremiah, in that moment, prophesied against Hananiah and said, Listen, it will be an iron yoke. It'll be a much stronger yoke than what would have been. And plus, Hananiah, you're going to die this year. And what happened? Hananiah died. And the idea that Jeremiah was giving in, in this, at this time was that you need to work for the welfare of your city. And that's still a word for God today. That as Christians, we work for the welfare of the city wherever God has planted us for his good and for their good to glorify him. And Jeremiah says in chapter 29, he says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. As you benefit the city where you're called, not only is it going to help the welfare of the city, but it's going to help your own welfare. 
And then he goes on to say, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And he's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about Israel. Daniel knew that prophecy. He knew it was going to be 70 years. They were just 10 years into it when he was exiled into Babylon. He knew there would be 60 more years. According to this book, Daniel never returns to Israel. But he knew that he was to work for the welfare of the city. Then he goes on, Jeremiah goes on, he says, For I know the plans I have for you. And this is what Dan preached about a few weeks ago. And we've got to get it in context. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that hope was to return to Israel, to return to the promised land. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will find me, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. When we repent, God is going to call us unto himself. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now this occurs within the next 70 years that God calls them back from Babylon to Israel. Also happens again in 1948. We see Israel being restored. Even today, now there are more Jews in Israel than there were anywhere anywhere else in the world. But you know where the most Jews were outside of Israel? Were in America. And they were returning even now. So what do we take away from this? That God used Joseph and Daniel... Both of them were culturally displaced. They were surrounded by lions. They lived in a godless culture. Maybe they worked around godless people. But they were blessed of God because they lifted God up. Sometimes that makes me wonder. What makes you think that you and I weren't meant to be culturally displaced as well? To be surrounded by lions. To live in a culture that's far from God. That his light and his salt might permeate where we are. Rather than complain about it, let's get to work. Let's focus on God and lift him up. Let's be used of him. Because God will use you when you are culturally displaced. When you are on your own. we got to remember... That Christianity is centered around a cross, not a position of power. Jesus didn't go into the Oval Office. Where'd he go? He went to Golgotha to die on a cross. And another thing we can take away from this is this, that maybe we have more in common with Nebuchadnezzar than we we have with uh, Daniel. A lot of times we write ourselves into the story and we think we're the hero. But a lot of times, we, we, we probably need to step back and think about how we really connect. Because Nebuchadnezzar was building a kingdom. My question would be for you today, and for myself, is what kingdom are you building? Trying to make more, get more, be more, play more. 
have more? What kingdom are you building? And remember, when you are displaced, it reveals what you've been building on. Are you going to lean into God when you're isolated and alone and surrounded by lions? Or are you just going to blend in and go along, go with the flow? It's an opportunity to begin building on the rock of Jesus Christ. When you're surrounded by lions, when you're isolated, when you're displaced, go back to God and rely on Him. The key difference between being a Christian and a non-Christian is this. The foundation you're building your life on. What kind of foundation? Tim Keller, who just recently passed away, he said it this way. Humanism gives you lots of flexibility in the way that you live, but very little certainty about your foundation or your future. Because there's no eternal life in humanism. And then the contrast is religion. It gives you a lot of certainty about your future and and a foundation, but it gives you very little flexibility in the way that you live. But there's a third way. Jesus wasn't about religion. It was about a relationship. The third way is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news. The gospel gives you a lot of certainty about your future and a lot of flexibility in the way that you live. And it's called freedom in Christ. We're to live for him. So we don't freak out, we don't blend in, we ferociously love people the way God has ferociously loved you in grace and truth. And that is the only way this world can change and that that comes through you, through God's people. Sometimes I really get jealous of you guys that work in the marketplace, that rub shoulders with people that are far from God. I have to work at it. I have to go find my, uh, my people that are far from God. And, and then as soon as they find out what I do, then they start talking Christianese. Oh, bless you, pastor. Bless you, blah, blah, blah. That really happens. But to be able to have that relationship and share light and to be salt is something that you were called to be. So when you leave this room today and you leave this building you are filled to be scattered to share God's love ferociously to be salt and light will you stand and pray with me eternal God Father we are so grateful for this time and Father just now we ask that we might be salt and light that Father as you call us to be set apart and unique and different in a godless culture that Father that we will obey and to realize that greater is he that is in us that you are in us than he that is in the world and Father not only may we know it but we will act on it and that others will see the light and feel the salt and be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ Father we're thankful for the witness of the word in Daniel And Father, I just pray that you would do your mighty work through your spirit and through your grace amongst us today in the lives of these, your people. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.